In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents Diet Starts Tomorrow with host Aileen Drexler. I'm having a relationship with my pizza. In a world where wellness looks perfect on Instagram. Just doing my workout. Tuesday's arms and back. But feels anything but in real life. Is butter a carb? Yes. This is the podcast exploring the emotional side of well-being. I would be proud to partake of your pecan pie. From people who understand the struggle. I am on the third day of my cleanse diet. Hello and welcome to Diet Stars Tomorrow. I'm your host, Aileen, and today I am joined by the Dr. Daniel Amen, who is a physician, adult, and child psychiatrist, and the founder of Amen Clinics. He's worked with celebrities like Justin Bieber, Miley Cyrus, and he's a 12-time New York Times bestselling author. I cannot wait to talk about all things brain health. Welcome to DST. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I've been following you for a while. You're great. Your content is awesome. Can you tell all the listeners, the DSTers, more about your work? Because I know you do a lot of brain scans. That's what your clinic is really known for. But what do you specialize in? What? Tell me a little bit more. So I'm a child and adult psychiatrist at Amen Clinics. We have 10, soon to be 11 clinics around the country. We look at people's brains. You know, I often say psychiatrists are the only medical doctors who never look at the organ they treat. But in looking at the brain, I realized what, what I need to be is a brain health expert. So I help people have better brains, better lives, and I am passionate to end the whole concept of mental illness and replace it with brain health. Because when you get your brain right, your mood is better, your anxiety is less, your focus is better, you're more stable, you're kinder. Everything I deal with as a psychiatrist is better. It's interesting, mental illness versus brain health. What is the difference now like between those two definitions? Well, when we say somebody has a mental illness, it means their mind or their behavior is so unbalanced that mm -hmm. they need to take medication or be in a hospital. And I've always hated the term mental mm -hmm. illness. It shames people. It's stigmatizing nobody wants to be called mental that's a bad thing if you call someone mental but everybody wants a better brain so what if mental health was really brain health mm -hmm. and when you think along those lines shame and stigma goes down compliance goes up and it's just something virtually everybody can get on board with. Yeah, that's interesting. What kind of um, patients do you typically see? What do people come to you for? 
from A to Z. I mean, literally ADD, anxiety, Alzheimer's, depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, relationship problems. I mean, virtually anything you can imagine related to the brain and behavior. And so do you do a scan as like your first thing or is that like part of a diagnosis or how do the scans come in? What are the, what are you scanning for? What do you see? So when we see somebody, we take really detailed histories. We want to know the story of their life. And then we image them. We do a study called SPACT, Brain SPACT Imaging. Stands for Single Photon Emission Computed Tomography. It's a nuclear medicine study that looks at how your brain works. It's different than a CAT scan or an MRI. Those are anatomy studies. They show what the brain looks like. SPEC looks at how it functions. We've done 210,000 scans on patients from 155 countries. And they tell us, is your brain healthy? Is it not healthy? Is it hurt? Have you had traumatic brain injuries? Is it toxic? Are you smoking marijuana, drinking alcohol, putting toxic products on your body? Is it working too hard or not hard enough? And so when we have a detailed clinical history, plus the scans, we also do some neuropsychological testing. We get a pretty good idea of what's wrong and what to do. What are you looking for when you're looking at those scans? Like, what is the function? Is it an activity in that moment or over time? Like, what what exactly does it tell you? Well, it tells us how your brain is working. So, for example, I can tell whether or not you're depressed in about 20 minutes. That's not hard. But what I cannot tell is what's the underlying biology of your depression. So, for example, we talked about this in Justin Bieber's docu-series, Seasons. He came to me, someone else had diagnosed him with bipolar disorder, but he wasn't bipolar. His brain was hurt, and it ended up being hurt from toxins and infections. But to just make diagnoses based on symptom clusters with no biological data is just a bit insane. And he had overall really low activity in his brain. And that's not healthy. It's really hard to sleep. It's really hard to think right. It's really hard to have good control over your mind if your brain's not got enough activity. Right. Isn't there a thing that we only use like a small percentage of our actual brains? Yeah, that's a myth. I can't take out 90% of your brain and you still be you. Um, we, we use all of our brains, some people just way more efficiently than others. Oh, really? What makes somebody more efficient at using their brain than somebody else? Because their brain's healthier. And there's a concept I coined a long time ago called brain reserve. Brain reserves the extra tissue you have to deal with whatever stress comes your way. Mm -hmm. And when we're born, we generally have a lot of reserve, unless your mother or your father were bad to you before you were born. So if your mom drank when she was pregnant with you. And most women don't actually know they're pregnant until week five, six, seven, eight. But the brain actually starts to develop 
21 days after you're conceived. And so that time in your mother's womb is really important. If she ate right, if she exercised, if she wasn't under a lot of stress, that's so much better and you're born with more reserve. And then whatever happens to us in life, our diet, our level of stress, and it's not that you want no stress, you want a healthy amount of stress because a little bit of stress helps us develop too much. Say your dad was an alcoholic or your parents were chronically fighting. That level of stress is sort of bad for your reserve. If you played football in high school, if um, you did a lot of drugs or alcohol, decreases the reserve you have in your brain. So there's an interesting concept I like a lot. Um, and this is how the brain develops. So as we develop, our brain cells get wrapped with a white fatty substance called myelin. And myelin works sort of like insulation on copper wires. The more myelin that's laid down in our brain, the healthier we are. Our brains work faster. But if we damage myelin by not sleeping, by eating pro-inflammatory toxic foods, by being exposed to toxins or infections, then our brain's not as fast, our brain's not as healthy, and we're not gonna get close to our potential. It feels like cat food has been the same forever. Smelly, boring, made of mystery ingredients. That's why you've got to try Smalls. Smalls cat food is protein-packed recipes made with preservative-free ingredients you'd find in your fridge. And it's delivered right to your door. Make the switch from kibble and give your cat a meal they'll love. We actually sent some to my friend who is fostering kittens and it is the only thing they will eat. It comes in these pate packages and you scoop it and you just feel like you're a chef for your baby kitties and they j'adore it. Your cute kitty is descended from ferocious desert cats who hunted live prey. Even if your cat prefers to nap all day, they still need fresh protein-packed meals for a balanced and healthy diet. Other brands fill their food with mysterious meat byproducts, artificial flavoring, and preservatives with names I don't even want to try to pronounce. After switching it up to Smalls, 90% of cat owners reported overall health improvements. That's major. The team at Smalls is so confident your cat will love their product that you can try it risk-free. That means they'll completely refund you if your picky cat won't eat their food. Now is the time to make the switch to Smalls. Head to smalls.com DST and use promo code DST at checkout for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. That's the best offer you'll find, but you have to use my code DST for 50% off your first order. One last time, that's promo code DST for 50% off your first order plus free shipping, baby. This episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always find the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you, Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. 
Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And they're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life. So it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to newly, that's N U U L Y dot com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. So what about like using your brain in terms of exercising it? I know you talk about, you know, mental hygiene is extremely important. What does that actually mean for like me, a person? Day to day. Well, so getting the right habits are really important. And right at the beginning of the pandemic, I wrote down mental hygiene is just as important as washing your hands. <laughs> we need to disinfect our thoughts. And I call them ants, automatic negative thoughts, the thoughts that come into your mind automatically infest you and ruin your day, ruin your relationships, ruin how you feel about yourself. And so I start every day with today is going to be a great day. I'm directing my mind to what I want. Every night when I go to bed, I want what went well today. I am programming my sleep every day. I ask myself, is this good for my brain or bad for it? And if I make the right decisions, my brain's going to be younger 10 years from now than if I make the wrong decisions. What do you mean right decisions or wrong decisions? Right in what way for your brain? Well, for the health of your brain. And, you know, quite frankly, most seven-year-olds would get a 90 on the test if you gave them 50 things and you went good for your brain or bad for it, right? 25 bad things, 25 good things, they would get a 90% or higher on what's good for your brain or bad for it. When my daughter was, she's now 19, but when she was in second grade, I went to her class and I wrote down 20 things on the board, soccer, football, smoking, alcohol, marijuana, blueberries, avocados, good sleep, kindness, they got everything right, except one, right. orange juice, which they put in the good category, but really belongs in the bad category, because whenever you unwrap fruit sugar from its fiber source, it actually turns toxic in your body. And, and that's the question. I worked with BJ Fogg for six months. He's the director of the Persuasive Tech Lab at Stanford on how people change. And we came up with a series of tiny habits. You know, what's the smallest thing you can do that'll make the biggest difference? 
And the mother tiny habit is you just ask yourself, is this good for my brain or bad for it? And then you just have to know the less, um, like staying up at night playing video games, good for your brain or bad, bad, right? Or indulging in too much alcohol, that's bad. Um, chronically being addicted to caffeine, it's bad for your brain. What about screen time or your phone? So screen time is bad. Um, the more screen time you have, the more likely you are to be anxious, depressed, and overweight. I have a mnemonic that I use a lot called bright minds. You want to keep your brain healthy or rescue it if it's headed for trouble. You have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. What about like mental workouts? We were talking about mental hygiene. What about like reading or doing anything that like stimulates your brain? New learning is absolutely essential. People who are in jobs that require lifelong learning have a lower incidence of Alzheimer's disease. When you learn something new, your brain makes a new connection. It actually lays down a little bit more myelin. When you stop learning, your brain actually starts to disconnect itself. And the isolation during COVID um, was bad for so many people because loneliness also disrupts myelin in your brain. Now, some people, especially introverts, they love the pandemic because they didn't have to deal with extroverts and they could be at home and they could really sort of manage the inputs uh, to their mind. And those people that took up new hobbies because everybody had a little bit of extra time, um, that's really helpful. But if you just sat and watched Netflix, ate chips and drank alcohol, it's very bad for your brain. Right. In terms of anxiety, ADD, depression, when somebody comes to see you for that, do you say medication or how do you determine what the right path is for someone? So medicine is never, never the first or the only thing I think about. I'm mm -hmm. not opposed to medicine and I'll use it if needed, but I always have this little mantra I say to myself, skills, not just pills. And so if you come to see me, I'm going to teach you how to kill the ants, the automatic negative thoughts that steal your happiness. I'm going to teach you diaphragmatic breathing to control your sympathetic nervous system. Um, hypnosis, I'm a huge fan, meditation. EMDR for anxiety and past training. EMDR is a specific psychological treatment I just love. I find it to be so powerful for people. It stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And then I own a supplement company. And the reason I own a supplement company is when I first started doing scans in 1991, I didn't like the impact of many of the medications I was prescribing. And I remember in medical school, first do no harm, 
first do no harm. And so I never really wanted to hurt anybody. And I wanted to use like saffron or omega-3 fatty acids, St. John's wort, 5-HTP, um, all have good scientific evidence showing they're effective, but fewer side effects. Okay. But when somebody comes to see you, do you use your psychiatry and, and then the, I guess, the scan part of it? And, and then you figure out like, oh, maybe natural ways aren't the answer. Like, how do you determine what's right for this one person, you know, individually? I mean, all of it's individual. So if you right. came to see me and you said, I'm depressed. Well, the first thing I'm going to do is learn about your life. Right. And it's like, well, why are you depressed? And do you come from people who are depressed? You know, does there seem to be a genetic vulnerability there? And is your diet decreasing your depression or increasing your depression? Is your use of substances increasing your depression or decreasing depression? What have you tried before? What's the pattern on your scan? And it's like, oh, it's, I don't like it. Maybe there's an infection going on. COVID dramatically increased the expression of anxiety and depression. And it's like a little bomb goes off in your brain when you have COVID because it causes inflammation that we can see on your scans. Or is it Lyme? Um, or do you have heavy metal toxicity? Or are you living in a mold-filled home? So, you know, right, as opposed to what I was trained, which is you have six of these nine symptoms of depression here, take Prozac or Lexapro. I'm like, you know, my mind hasn't thought like that in nearly 30 years. What made you just decide to switch from that process of thought? Well, one, it's not very effective. And two, the scans taught me a concept I love called brain envy. So when I first started scanning people, I scanned my mom and she had a beautiful brain. She was 60 and it really fit her life. Seven kids, 50 grandkids, great grandkids. She knows everybody's birthday, um, everybody's what's going on in everybody's life. I mean, she's really amazing even at 90. And I scanned myself and it wasn't that healthy because I played football in high school. And so I wanted her brain. So that's brain envy. I always say Freud was wrong. Penis envy's not the cause of anybody's problem. I've not seen it once in 40 years. And when you love your brain, you begin to treat it better. You begin to have a relationship with it. Mm -hmm. So then is this good for my brain or bad for it? Becomes a living question in your life. Do you feel that like a lot of people are overprescribed medication now? Because I haven't heard so much more about like this natural approach to certain mental illnesses more than the last few years. And I keep hearing that. And I also am personally like I would go to first natural remedies before going to medication. So why do you think that there's like this over besides like, you know, big pharma, but why do you think that like people are so quick to want to just go on medications? And can you share like what the difference is between all of the main ones? Because I don't really quite know the 
the main difference? Because so many people are in different types. Well, if we look at depression, for example, mm -hmm. the most commonly prescribed are SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. I don't know if you saw a couple of weeks ago uh, in molecular psychiatry, a big article came out yeah. that said there's really no evidence that low serotonin is the cause of depression. And it caused this big hubbub. They work about 17% of the time. That's my experience. Is depression's not one thing. That's what imaging teaches you. Um, there's also SNRIs, serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors like Pristique or Effexor. Um, Remeron, they tend to actually be more effective because they're going after multiple neurotransmitter systems. And then there's Welbutrin, which works more on dopamine. Depending on your scan pattern, if I choose to use medicine, I'm much more effective because I'm like this pattern where your brain works too hard, the SSRIs are likely to be helpful for you. If your brain is too sleepy, well, butrin is more likely to be helpful for you. And I'm also a huge fan, like we're talking about, of supplements. So, for example, saffron, 30 milligrams of saffron, 24 randomized controlled trials head-to-head -head against Zoloft, effects or um, Prozac, equally effective. But the benefit of saffron is it helps your memory and it's pro-sexual where the SSRIs tend to knock off your libido and your ability to have an orgasm. Now, that's a problem. And we've known that since Prozac was first introduced in 1988. But I hate that for my patients because... Depression is in part caused by separation from your loved ones. I mean, there's a relationship cause of depression. And if I give you a treatment for depression and now you're not interested physically in your partner, that can cause relationship problems mm -hmm. because people take that stuff personally. And, uh, you know, so if you can do it without causing that, mm -hmm. I'm a fan. What about ADD? Um, so ADD is real and left untreated causes real problems for people. I think it's way overdiagnosed. People use stimulants for performance enhancement because they're not sleeping. Now, but if it's real, you've had it, you've had it since you were a child, you can see evidence of it in your mom or dad or in her, your mom's family or your dad's family short attention span, distractibility, restlessness, impulse control problems. Sometimes medicine for ADD is miraculous and people go from C's and D's to A's and B's and, you know, they end up in a master's program or a doctorate program because they have full access to their own brains. But give it to the wrong person and they can become more angry, more agitated, and it can really disrupt them. But since, you know, virtually nobody ever looks at the brain, it's this sort of insane food fight going on where you end up on medication after a seven minute office visit with your PCP. Right.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, I want to talk about alcohol now because I know you post a lot about alcohol. You talk a lot about, you know, marijuana versus alcohol. Is alcohol really that bad for your brain? And are there any quantities in which it is not so bad? Well, I mean, you know, less is better than more for sure. But (laughs) there's actually a study from Spain that said virtually any alcohol disrupted white matter in the brain and myelin production. And it is particularly bad for a developing brain. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, no matter what show you watch on Netflix or Prime, alcohol is everywhere. I actually got to see one of the producers of one of the big shows. And I'm like, why is alcohol in virtually every show? Uh, and he's like, sponsors. And I'm just like, not okay with this because what we're doing is we're normalizing poison uh, because alcohol, I mean, and I have no dog in the fight. Um, I'm more likely to make money and see you if you drink than if you don't drink. And so, or if you use marijuana or you don't use marijuana. But I have scans and people who drink every day have smaller brains. And when it comes to the brain, size matters. And, you know, um, interesting little fact, in your gut right now, you have about 100 trillion bugs that's called your microbiome. Bacteria and viruses and fungus and um, your microbiome helps make you you. And my wife is a nurse. And why does she put alcohol on your skin before she gives you a shot? because it kills the bugs. And Mm -hmm. so, and I don't know if you know, remember during the pandemic that companies like Jim Beam um, turned their distilleries into hand sanitizer plants because alcohol kills bacteria. Do you really wanna be pouring that down your gut when your microbiome is trying to make neurotransmitters, digest your food, detoxify your body? Not to mention it's toxic to your brain and people do stupid things when they drink too much. I saw you posted though that marijuana is actually somewhat worse for you because it lasts in your body for 30 days. Is that the main reason or are there others? Well, I'm not a fan of either one. Um, and marijuana is particularly damaging, as is alcohol, to developing brains. Mm-hmm. And I published the largest imaging study in the world, I think, 62,454 scans on how the brain ages. And then we looked at, because we have all the clinical data on our patients, we went, what accelerates aging? And schizophrenia, having schizophrenia was the worst. 
Um, but the second worst was marijuana. It was worse than alcohol. It was worse than smoking. And it just prematurely aged the brain. I published another study on a thousand marijuana users. Every area of their brain was lower in activity and blood flow. Yeah. And I'm not making this stuff up. It's, and I know I get a lot of hate when I talk about it, but when people are really thoughtful, people who use a lot of marijuana generally spontaneously complain of memory problems because they're hurting their brain. Mm -hmm. What about like drugs that aren't marijuana, alcohol, like, you know, mushrooms or ayahuasca, psilocybin, or things that like are, are known, quote unquote, to expand your brain activity. How does that play into all that? Well, it's going to be a really interesting question, you know, is uh, psilocybin gets legalized, legalized now mm -hmm. in Oregon. Uh, we're going to be able to study it. I I've not seen it be a good long-term solution for anybody. In fact, uh, I'm a huge fan of Will Smith. I was a consultant on the movie Concussion, uh, and I thought he should have got the Oscar for that. I thought he was so good in that. So right before the Oscars this year, I read his autobiography. And at the end, he talks about doing ayahuasca 14 times. So obviously it didn't fix him. <laughs> and I think people are so excited about a quick fix, just like you mentioned earlier, that, you know, everybody wants to do mushrooms besides marijuana. It's the most common question I'm asked online. And I think we're just going to buy into more problems. Because, you know, I mean, the whole yeah. marijuana thing has not work, is not working out really well you know, 1700% increase in babies born with marijuana in their system. That's not fair because it has a negative impact on development, which means this is a multi-generational problem. Now, I'm not a fan of putting people who use drugs in jail. I think that's a really bad use of resources. But let's not say it's innocuous because it's not. Right. For individual health. And I guess you're saying also generational. All right. Well, so not a fan of psilocybin, <laughs> marijuana, or alcohol. How can you have any fun? Exactly. I was going to say I'm that. And I'm like, well, who has more fun? The person with the good brain or the person with the bad brain? Who has more fun? Who gets the girl and gets to keep her because he doesn't act like an idiot? The kid with the good brain or the kid with the bad brain? Who right. gets the job they want? And ultimately, I think people are like me. I want energy. I want clarity. I want good decisions. I want great relationships. All of that comes from a healthy brain. That, mm -hmm. that you know, you have more fun when you do the right things. Speaking of a healthy brain and like fun, what about like a happy brain? I know you're, you have a book coming out or is out, you happier. So what does it mean to have a happy brain? And what is the difference between a good brain and a happy brain? Well, a healthy brain, you're much more likely to be happier. I gave 500 consecutive patients the Oxford happiness questionnaire 
and people whose brains had more blood flow were significantly happier. The big idea in you happier is everybody's sort of got a different brain, that your brain may be very different than my brain. And happiness strategies need to be geared to your brain type, that a balanced brain, most things will make you happy. A spontaneous brain, you need novelty to be happy. If you're in a relationship with someone who has a persistent brain, they don't like novelty. They like routine. They hate surprises. And so if you're together, this person always wants to experiment sexually. This other person, it's like, no, we do it the same way. So you can see how different brain types can cause trouble. And then there's the sensitive brain that needs, craves relationship, damaged most in the pandemic. And then the cautious brain that needs safety. So the spontaneous brain would love to jump out of an airplane with a parachute. The cautious brain, there's just no way they're <laughs> going to do that because that would make them unhappy. Yeah, that definitely checks out personally. <laughs> so when people want to find happiness, what do you think that they're actually like looking for? And how does that translate to a, a healthy brain? So hedonism is the enemy of happiness because it wears out the pleasure centers in the brain. Ultimately, happiness comes from a healthy brain geared to your type, where you support it nutritionally. You don't believe every stupid thing you think. You're looking for the micro moments of happiness, and your life is centered on connection and purpose. But connection and purpose are way easier when your brain is healthy. Mm -hmm. So about hedonism, I know you posted this about this, like the big lie about happiness. Can you expand on that? Well, I actually start the book with the lies of happiness, like sugar makes you happy. <laughs> Coca-Cola's uh, slogan is open happiness. It's complete lie. People who drink a lot of Coca-Cola are much more likely to be overweight and depressed. Happy Meals. Again, it's another societal lie. Or Bobby McFerrin's monster Grammy-winning hit, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Um, people with low levels of anxiety are actually very unhappy because they die early from accidents and preventable illnesses. Oh, like very low. You, you need some anxiety or you go to jail. Money makes you happy. And, you know, that's true up to about $75,000 a year. And after that, there's just no relationship between money and happiness or alcohol or marijuana. We talked about that. There's so many lies to what society thinks will make us happy, but ultimately it's a healthy brain connection and purpose. Okay. But like more, so when you said like the big lie of happiness, like more of something does not actually. That's actually the first lie that more of something because your brain gets used to it. Mm -hmm. And so more sex will make you happy, but it won't. I mean, some probably, but you have these pleasure centers deep in your brain and they respond to dopamine. And that's sort of like, whoa, let me pay attention 
to this. But more and more, like with drugs or fame, you know, Justin and I talked about that a lot. Miley and I talk about it all the time. Um, more of something will generally make you miserable. And uh, you have to be really careful. You know, I had a New York Times bestselling book and I was like so excited. And and then I needed a number one New York Times bestselling book. And mm -hmm. I ended up getting that, but it didn't make me any happier. What made me happy is somebody read it and it gave them benefit mm -hmm. of it. Uh, you just have to be very cautious about the thoughts in your head and negative thoughts make you feel bad. And it happens almost immediately, but there's nowhere in school. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. There's yeah. nowhere in school. Our educational system helps us manage our own thoughts. So I was 28 years old before I realized I didn't have to believe every stupid thing I thought. Uh, me too. Like definitely not as a kid did I learn that not everything I'm thinking is even belongs to me necessarily. It's something I heard and it's just in my head. It's, that's pretty wild. What about like some tips about protecting your happiness if you do have? So the first step in protecting your happiness is protect your brain. That that's very important. And then know that all brains are different. And just because you don't want to jump out of an airplane or do high risk behaviors, it doesn't mean there is anything the matter with you. You're just sort of wired uh, a bit differently. Um, if you want to protect your happiness, you need to eat fruits and vegetables. The more colorful fruits and vegetables generally the happier you're going to be and either eat fish or take fish oil because low levels of omega-3 fatty acids are associated with depression and if you really want to be happy if you want to protect your happiness you have to give it away like i know right now my wife's in the next room that i can make her smile by what i say and what i notice or I can make her angry by what I say and what I notice. And if I spend time consciously giving happiness away by noticing what I like about the people in my life, I'm much more likely to be happy because we are completely impacted by the level of happiness of those around us. In fact, also in the introduction, I talk about how happiness is a moral obligation because of how we impact other people. And I grew up Roman Catholic, went to Catholic school in the San Fernando Valley um, in the 1950s and 60s. And I can guarantee you the idea that happiness is a moral obligation was nowhere to be found in my family or my community. Um, but yet, when you just think of the impact that people have on others seeking happiness, which again is not hedonism, it's purpose, connection, and hell. Um, it's like, it's not a bad thing. And it's mm -hmm. not frivolous. Right.
Yeah, I love that message about that you can change somebody's happiness too with your own. You talk a lot about, you know, what you eat in terms of how it affects your happiness. You know, you said sugar was one of the first things and eating fruits and vegetables. What are some more things that you could like add to your diet or the things that you eat day to day or the things that you do day to day, your routines that can contribute to a a healthy brain because we talked about a lot of things that you shouldn't do like alcohol marijuana but what are things that you can add to promote a healthy brain so raw cacao so the foundation of chocolate is really good for happiness and the brain and so every night for my family i make brain healthy hot chocolate and so i take unsweetened almond milk, heat it up, put in a teaspoon, heaping teaspoon per cup of raw cacao, a little bit of chocolate flavored stevia, and put it in the blender. It blends beautifully. It tastes amazing. It's about 60 calories. And I love it and it loves me. So one of the strategies I always talk about is only love food that loves you back that you're in a relationship with food. I don't know if you've ever been in a bad relationship, but I have, and I'm not doing that anymore. I'm married to my best friend and I protect that relationship. Food, I have total control over what I put in my body. So whatever I eat is, do I love it? Cause I like to eat and does it love me back? And so I generally start the morning with a protein shake um, with only healthy ingredients in it. Don't put fruit juice in your shake in the morning. That's just stupid. Um, I, and at lunch, I generally have a salad with some protein. I like nuts as a snack. Walnuts are loaded with omega-3 fatty acids. Uh, you know, so between the fruit and the veggies, I always have a veggie tray. And I love guacamole. Um, guacamole's, I love it and it loves me back. Um, I often will have a cup of frozen blueberries during the day. Uh, now it's cherry season. I love cherries. So I'm always thinking good for my brain or bad for it because I turned 68 this year. And, you know, there's this thing called the gravity of age. I've seen a whole bunch of old brains and I don't want my brain to be, you know, normal. Right. Mm. I want it to be optimal. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Amen, for coming on the show and sharing all of your knowledge and experience. So where can people buy your book? Where can they access all of your content? Please share all of that. Well, thank you so much. They can get um, you happier or any of my books at Amazon or Barnes and Noble, um, anywhere great books are sold. I talked about some of the supplements. BrainMD is the company I own, brainmd.com. They can learn about our clinics at Amen, like the last word in a prayer, amenclinics.com. 
or follow me on Instagram or who would have predicted TikTok? (laughs) (laughs) Who would have predicted uh, that I would have like 1.6 million followers? But it's so much fun to reach (laughs) a younger generation who needs help now more than ever. And the help of the traditional mental health, it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. Well, also, like you can make a big impact the earlier in life you learn something about your health. So, well, thank you again. And that is it for today's episode of Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'll be back this Thursday. Email me your questions, your wins, DST at batches.com. You can follow us at Diet Starts Tomorrow. You can follow me at Aileen. Follow Dr. Amen at Doc underscore Amen and go buy his books, all of them, all bestsellers. And we're always with you. Through thick and thin. Diet Starts Tomorrow is produced by Sean Kilby, Stacey Wong, and Jorge Morales Pico. Editing by Stacey Wong. Be sure to follow at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to dst at betches.com. Betches.